Remember the good old days before Microsoft Word had autosave? You'd type up some important document and then your computer would freeze and you'd lose hours of work just because you forgot to hit save? Well, that's what it's like going online without ExpressVPN. Every time you're connected to an unencrypted network, whether it's in an airport, a hotel, a cafe, or anywhere, your online data is not secure. Any person on that same network who knows what they're doing can gain access to your personal data. Bank logins, credit card details, passwords, all the stuff you don't want people seeing. Unfortunately, hacking has become much easier than it used to be. People don't even have to be exceptionally skilled to do it, and there's a lot of money to be made by selling your information on the dark web. ExpressVPN stops hackers from stealing your data by creating a secure, encrypted tunnel between your device and the internet. It's incredibly easy to use. Once the app is running, you literally click one button to get protected. And it works on your phone, laptop, tablet, and more, so you can stay protected on the go. I've been using ExpressVPN for a little while now, and I can rest easy knowing my info is safe and secure. I've heard horror stories of people who've been hacked, and it sounds like a massive pain to try to get any resolution in the aftermath, so I am not interested in finding out what that process is like. Secure your online data today by visiting expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash slashfilm, and you can get an extra three months free. expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Slash Film Daily for Friday, June 4th, 2021. On today's episode of the show, we're going to be talking about the latest film and TV news. My name is Ben Pearson. I'm the senior writer at SlashFilm.com, and I am joined on today's episode by Slash Film Weekend Editor Brad Oman. Hey, that's me. And writer Poitrain Bui. Hey, everyone. All right, guys, let's jump right in today. Uh, dive into the deep end, uh-huh, because our first story involves a seafaring uh, movie well, what will soon become a franchise, uh, Master and Commander, wow, Far Side ben, of the World. You've oh. taken my role as the, <laughs> as the punster of the group. Uh, Aisha, you will always be the punster of Slash Home. There's no no amount of punning I could possibly do will be able to put me in the same league as you. So, uh, Speaking of leagues, ah, yeah, uh, 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 another... Oh, um, the punster and commander. Uh, <laughs> yeah, there we go. All right, guys. So the... <laughs> We're having fun. It's Friday. Uh, okay, so there's a new Master and Commander movie in the works. Uh, the first film came out in 2003. It's called Master and Commander, The Far Side of the World. It starred Russell Crowe and Paul Bettany and uh, was directed by Peter Weir. And it is a terrific movie. It's so much fun. I wrote about it in a quarantine stream column last year. And I think we talked about it on the podcast around that time. Um, so people may be familiar with our just sort of general love for this movie. And now uh, Deadline reports today that uh, 20th Century Studios is developing a new Master and Commander movie. The downside is that it sounds like it's not going to star Russell Crowe and Paul Bettany, who are so great in, in that first movie. But instead, this is going to be a prequel that focuses on younger versions of their characters. So Patrick O'Brien is the author of uh, a series of novels involving the character Captain Jack Aubrey, who Russell Crowe played in the first movie. I think there are 20 books in that novel series. And this new movie, which is being written by Patrick Ness, is supposed to be based on the first book in this series and will basically be about the first time that this Captain Jack Aubrey character is given his first command and as he becomes friends for the first time with uh, the naval surgeon Stephen Maturin, who's played by uh, Paul Bettany. Uh, Patrick Ness, the writer of this film, previously wrote A Monster Calls and Chaos Walking. And that's all the information we have so far. We don't know who's going to be directing it. There are no actors uh, attached yet. 
But um, man, guys, I just had whiplash reading the story because I was so excited for you know a split second seeing that a new Master and Commander movies in the works, and then I was just completely that excitement was completely deflated when I learned the the circumstances of this re, uh, this sort of remake reboot thing. Um, I guess it's more of a prequel than a remake. But uh, any thoughts here from either of you? I, I know I think I think all of us like this movie, right? All of us have, have seen I it and talked about it. I have not seen Master and Commander, oh, okay. despite your raise for it, and despite one of my friends telling me that it's the ultimate guys being dudes movie. And I was like, oh, that sounds <laughs> great. I should I should watch it. I still haven't. And also features my love, Paul Bettany. So uh, I will at some point. Um, yeah, you should definitely check it out. It's it's excellent. So so well done, Brad. You do you have uh, fond feelings for that first movie? I haven't seen Master. Oh Commander my god, either. what am I doing? I know. Maybe it I was keep... just Chris and Jacob or something that were on my on my team there. But... I keep putting it off. I I know I I need to watch it. I keep hearing how good it is. So okay, all right. Well, uh, sorry to um, to rope you guys into this conversation when you have zero context for what the hell I'm talking about. But um... you might say <laughs> it's all a wash. Ah, yes, I love it. Uh, the podcast is, uh, yep, this just in, the podcast has been canceled. Guys, we're, <laughs> we're done. So, um, all right, let's move on to our next item here, which is uh, some pretty uh, immaculate casting for the new John Wick movie. HT, tell us about that. Yes, so Ip Man himself, Donnie Yen, has joined John Wick 4 in the latest installment of the John Wick franchise. He has been set as a uh old friend of Keanu Reeves super assassin John Wick who shares the same history and many of the same enemies and um, other than that we don't know much about it but this is like you said immaculate casting Donnie Yen is a martial arts superstar he was a a huge martial arts top action star in uh, Hong Kong and China for years before Hollywood took notice but uh, people in the states probably know him best from Rogue One from Triple uh, X Return of Xander Cage and of course the wildly po- popular Ip Man movies which unfortunately have been sort of in diminishing returns but he is consistently great in it always so uh, I'm excited to see him and cross fists with uh, Keanu Reeves, although I guess not ca- crossing fists because they're friends, so fighting alongside. And um, it seems a very fitting uh, p- piece of casting, too, because the John Wick movies have always been a deliberate homage to Hong Kong action cinema. And here is one of the OG Hong Kong action stars. Yeah. What do you think about the um, the positioning of uh, Yen as a, a friend to John Wick instead of a foe, HT? I know that you know John Wick has sort of faced off against some pretty high profile uh, people in, from the martial arts world over the years. Um, but what do you think about uh, Donnie Yen as a, as a pal instead? Well, I'm sure we all want to be friends with Donnie Yen. So <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't mind it. Although I do feel like we almost, we missed the opportunity to see uh, Keanu Reeves and Donnie Yen fight, which would be great. That would be so fun to see. But you know, maybe they'll give us a sparring match or something or some sort of misunderstanding in which they'll they'll fight at first and then realize that they're on the same side after um, <laughs> their many years of, of history together. So I'm just excited to see him in this movie. I think we talked about or there was uh, ra- rampant fan casting speculation about who the high table in the John Wick universe would be and Mm. that would be populated entirely by big martial arts action stars. I think I wish for Michelle Yeoh to be in there. Donnie Yen I think was one of my wishes. So, you know, if we will into existence, then maybe we'll see one of the other Hong Kong action stars. Maybe we'll see Michelle Yeoh pop up and that would be great as well. 
Man, I would love that. That sounds uh, that sounds ideal to me. I'm just gonna you know put that in in my uh, in my heart and just hope that it actually happens. <laughs> HCI, I love that. Uh, all right, let's get uh, to our next story, which involves um, some sort of disappointing news for Netflix. Brad, tell us about what's going on with Jupiter's legacy. It is canceled. <laughs> the show is done after one season that cost two hundred million dollars. Wow. Uh, yeah, it's this is a, a pretty big disappointment for Netflix. Um, for those of you that don't know, Jupiter's Legacy is a superhero comic book series from Mark Miller, uh, the creator of Kick-Ass. Uh, it's based on a comic book series um, that he created for his Miller World banner. And it was meant to be this huge uh, multi-season sprawling superhero series that Netflix wanted to basically, you know, be their own uh, Avengers slash Watchmen uh, kind of story. And so they spent a lot of money on it and it ended on a massive cliffhanger. They were hoping to do so much more, but... After debuting early in May, uh, just one month later, apparently um, it's not good enough or maybe too expensive for Netflix to keep doing it because uh, Mark Miller posted on Twitter earlier this week that they were letting the cast out of their commitments for more episodes. Um, No one used the word canceled when they talked about the show ending, and Miller even specifically said in a statement, quote, we're confident we'll return to it later. So... uh, I don't know if he's just being hopeful, um, but the interesting thing here is that Mark Miller is still um, working on a show called Super Crooks, which takes place in the Jupiter's Legacy universe. Um, That's already been given a full season order by Netflix, and it follows a ragtag gang of supervillains, con artists, petty thieves um, who band together and pull off uh, the heist of the century. Now, what's not clear is if there are characters from Jupiter's Legacy who are meant to appear in this show, if there are other superheroes who are involved. Uh, I can't imagine it's the former, because I feel like if they're already letting Jupiter's Legacy kind of fall away, they don't really want Super Crooks to be tied to Jupiter's Mm -hmm. Legacy. Mm -hmm. Um, But maybe there's the possibility that, like, they could bring those characters in later if super crooks is successful. Um, but yeah, this, this seems like kind of a mess for Netflix. Cause I'm sure that they were hoping this could become, you know, this big uh, franchise with crossover potential and everything, but uh, clearly didn't work out that way. Yeah, man, this just seems like a huge, like pie in the face kind of moment for, uh, you know, a streaming service that really doesn't have too many like high profile whiffs like this um it it seems rare for netflix to pull the plug on something after one season um so yeah what do you think brad do you think that um that people just uh, what do you think it was about this show that people didn't connect with did you like tune into it at all and i mean it seems like it would be up your alley if if anybody on this podcast would have at least tuned into it and checked it out a little bit it would be you did you happen to to give this a spin i didn't you know i um i thought the the premise and the trailer made it look intriguing but then when the review started coming out it just sounded like it was not good something that i wasn't going to enjoy and so i'm always leery about jumping into a show that's intended to last a while and knowing that it's not very good because if it gets canceled i'm just going to be disappointed Um, Mm -hmm. as I'm sure some people are. What's interesting, though, is that um, Jupiter's Legacy did have um, some big ratings when it debuted uh, back in in, in May. So I don't necessarily know if it's just the show ended up being too expensive for Netflix to want to continue it based on uh, the viewership. Um, But it was, you know, successful by pulling in uh, apparently 696 million 
uh, minutes of viewership, whatever that <laughs> expands out to. Uh, that's how it was described by, by Nielsen in the ratings. Um, so it, it was the most watched original episodic program across all the major streamers um, for the, that first week that it debuted in May. So, uh, and maybe it just trailed off a lot after that and no one watched beyond like the first episode or who knows. Um, but it's, uh, yeah, it's it's gone for now and maybe it'll come back later at some point. Yeah, Netflix certainly has that data, even though they won't share it with us. So I'm guessing they made that decision based on on the data that they won't let everybody see. But um, yeah, it's interesting that you mentioned that they're sort of letting people out of their contracts and stuff. I wonder if that just means that they are letting them out of, you know, the sort of long term uh, contracts that people sign, you know, for multiple seasons or whatever, but they are going to potentially like loop these people back in for like small cameo roles or something in that other series that you were talking about. So, um, I guess fans of the show, you know, maybe you'll be able to see some, some of those characters again. Uh, but, um, yeah, it seems like a, a big disappointment as of right now, but, um, let's, let's talk about Marvel for the last two stories on today's show. Uh, HT, yesterday, um, I think this was yesterday, or maybe it was this morning. We anyway, we uh, we wrote about uh, Doctor Strange two and um, an interesting inspiration uh, that the new writer of this uh, upcoming movie sort of took and and sort of um, applied to that character. Tell us about that. Yeah, there was a big feature about uh, Michael Waldron, who is the writer, the co-writer for Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness. And he's also the head writer for the upcoming Disney Plus series, Loki. He talks a little bit about Loki, uh, but he talked quite a bit too about Doctor Strange and the inspirations that went into the characterization of this character and how he made the leap from Loki to Doctor Strange. And um, some of the influences that he named for his his Doctor Strange include Anthony Bourdain and Indiana Jones. He even says at one point that he thinks of Doctor Strange as Indiana Jones in a cloak. Uh, so he speaks of Anthony Bourdain first because, uh, quote, Strange is an elitist as a neurosurgeon and a sorcerer. Anthony Bourdain was a man of the people, but there was that intense intellect. He always felt like he could eviscerate anybody with his words at any time. And yet Anthony Bourdain never really punched down. That was the first ingredient in the stew for Doctor Strange. And he also likened uh, Bourdain's reputation for traveling around the world and um, experiencing many cultures and foods uh, to the plot for Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness and its uh, reality hopping. So Anthony Bourdain had seen every had been everywhere, seen everything he said, um, and that's something that he sort of teases will happen in Multiverse of Madness. Um, but uh, he also talks. Yeah, too about Indiana Jones and how uh, he, uh, Doctor Strange is a hero who can. Oh no, uh, he says Indiana Jones is a hero who can take a punch, and uh, Stephen Strange is kind of like that too. He's really great at getting beat up. But he's very capable and everything. Um, so that's those are the two big inspirations. He also mentions uh, Mash's Benjamin Franklin Hawkeye Pierce, comparing him to. Um, uh, he's got the heart of the character. How Doctor's Doctors do have to be cocky, and he got the, he's got the Hawkeye Pierce energy of Strange. Well, that Mash thing is a reference uh, for to something that was before my time. I, I never really got into Mash, so I, that one went completely over my head. Uh, Drax the Destroyer style. Um, <laughs> so uh, I want to talk to you about those, those inspirations, though. HT, do you um, how familiar were you? Are you with the the work of Anthony Bourdain? Did you watch you know his shows? Did you read any of his books or anything like that when he was 
uh, still with us and, and sort of uh, being so prolific on, you know, his CNN travel shows and things like that. Yeah, I watched a couple of his shows. I wasn't a big hardcore follower, but I think I and actually a lot of people in the Vietnamese community really appreciate and respect Anthony Bourdain because he had a a big love for the country of Vietnam and its foods in general. And he helped to boost and bolster the um, the reach and uh, renown of, of the Vietnamese food. So hmm. I think I have like an affection for him because of that. It's almost like a, a cranky uncle <laughs> that I like. So I've seen a couple of his shows. My parents all speak highly of him. <laughs> so yeah, I'm a fan of Anthony Bourdain. Yeah, I loved watching him. And I, I think this, um, the idea of, uh, of Stephen Strange being compared to Bourdain is, um, is pretty spot on. It, it strikes me, I mean, Bourdain, especially like as, as, um, uh, Waldron is talking about here. He really did have like that intense intellect that he mentioned, and and you really did feel like um, this was a guy who uh, who knew what he was talking about at all times, and and could sort of um, you know hold his own in any sort of uh, verbal sparring match or anything like that. And and uh, Strange sort of um, uh, emanates that same kind of um, intellectual capability, right? Um, yeah. But the the Indiana Jones thing is is one that I'm not quite sold on. Do you? Do, do you um, understand the parallel there when he's talking about Stephen Strange being a guy who you know can take a punch and get gets really beat up? Like, in, I guess it's been a while since I've seen the first Doctor Strange, but that's that's not exactly how I would describe that character. Yeah, really. it's not really either because it doesn't jibe with the whole elitist vein that we see in Doctor Strange. He's he he doesn't he's kind of a snob in a mm-hmm. way, and I can't I don't think I remember him like getting into bar fights for example or there's he does get into scrabbles i guess but like spiritually when he's a training to be a sorcerer so i don't exactly remember him throwing a punch so to speak so yeah that part to me read a little bit strange ha uh yes we're keeping it going all the way into this story um brad i know that you're you're sort of more into the the marvel world than uh either me or ht do you um have a, a different characterization of dr strange in your mind do you understand that um that comparison to Indiana Jones a little clearer. I mean, if there's a comparison there, I think maybe he's alluding to like his strange ability to like take a punch during the finale of the first Dr. Strange, where he keeps putting himself in harm's way with Dormammu by who, where he keeps getting killed over and over again by, by mm-hmm. keeping Dormammu trapped in an infinite loop um, in order to uh, defeat him. So th- that, could, yeah, that, could, that's true. that could be part of it. That makes sense. Yeah, I forgot about that. I didn't really think about it in that context, but that makes a lot of sense. Oh, I um, love that part because it's basically him annoying him into losing. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, I just didn't really think about it in terms of like him, you know, like taking his licks it, uh, to uh, achieve that annoyance. But um, but yeah, I, I guess I understand that now. Um, all right. So our, our last story uh, involves Loki, which is another uh, project that Michael Waldron uh, is working on. Loki debuts on Disney Plus next week. And um, Waldron in that same interview was talking about the inspirations for that show. And uh, he listed several of them. So one of them is um, Quentin Tarantino's Inglorious Bastards, not necessarily because of like the setting or anything, but because um, he was sort of looking at Tarantino movies uh, and specifically cited Inglorious Bastards because he's looking for inspiration for, um, for things that uh, luxuriate in long scenes of dialogue and tension building. Um, that was his quote. And I think Inglorious Bastards is a, is a terrific example of that. Um, long scenes of dialogue and tension building is not necessarily something that we've seen thus far in 
the uh, MCU shows in in um, WandaVision or the Falcon and the Winter Soldier. So I'm I'm excited to see what that actually translates into, on, you know, uh, in the, in this new series. Um, I, he also pointed out uh, Catch Me If You Can, the, the Spielberg movie, and um, Richard Linklater's Before Sunrise, which that one is the most surprising one to me because uh, Loki does not necessarily strike me as a, um, you know, an Ethan Hawke-esque romantic character. Uh, and he has not really had any, any question mark, romantic relationships on screen in the MCU thus, thus far? I don't think he has. So, uh, yeah, I wonder if, if we're going to see Loki get involved in some sort of romance over the course of this uh, series. Oh, if he gets a romance, the fangirls will go crazy. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, yeah, there's, there's a lot of, um, <laughs> like, metatextual stuff going on with that Loki character. He's very complex. It's a very um, uh, entrenched fandom, for sure. So, yeah, I'm curious to see, you know, if, if they sort of take a swing like that with that character or how how the um, the larger public is going to react to something like that. Uh, the catch me if you can thing though makes a little bit more sense to me because it seems like Owen Wilson's character, I think his name is um, Mr. Mobius, is um, this guy who works for the Time Variance Authority, which is this big organization that sort of controls all of the or tries to keep all the timelines in uh, in line and everything. Um, he seems to be this guy who is like. Um, either after Loki or, or trying to keep Loki in, in line as Loki sort of like zips around in, in all these different uh, timelines and, and makes all these, um, you know, waves in throughout time. So uh, the idea of, of a sort of um, mentor relationship akin to the one that uh, DiCaprio and Tom Hanks's characters had in Catch Me If You Can makes sense. So yeah, I mean, you know, nothing super specific in terms of like what exactly we can expect to see um, but a couple of, uh, of touch point films there that I, I'm excited to see. Oh, uh, Blade Runner is another one. I'm not entirely certain how that show is going to work in here, but yeah, I just wanted to open the floor to you guys and see if you had any thoughts on this, any, um, any reactions, if, if any of these movies that were mentioned here, um, make you more or less excited about, uh, watching Loki, either of you. Yeah. I'm most curious about this before sun rise uh deal because that's one of my favorite movies and i don't really know how it will play into the marvel loki formula I, i'm mm -hmm. very confused by it mostly i'm just like how is this gonna happen <laughs> i guess what we've known so far about the show is that each episode will be set in a different timeline and will will apply a different genre to it hence the blade runner 2049 which i could definitely see the him landing in some sort of uh, neo-futuristic uh, cyberpunk type of timeline. So that one I could see before sunrise. I'm so, I'm, I'm very intrigued for sure yeah, and yeah. mostly confused. But yeah, I, I, I'm quite excited for Loki. I, I think it'll be um, something that we haven't seen before with Marvel at least. Brad, any thoughts? I'm particularly excited about the Catch Me If You Can vibe. Uh, I love Catch Me If You Can. Um, it's one of my favorite Spielberg movies. And uh, I think the idea of, you know, having Loki kind of be this Frank Abagnale person who's fitting in and all these different uh, personalities and jobs and different scenes and stuff like that has potential to be uh, a lot of fun for Tom Hiddleston. Yes. So I think we're going to be doing a, um, you know, a deep dive episode uh, next week for the Loki premiere, like we've done for WandaVision and Falcon and the Winter Soldier in the past. So uh, yeah, me and Peter tuned. are going to be doing the, the usual recaps and... Uh, digging deep into to each new episode. 
Awesome. All right, cool. Uh, so yes, I look forward to listening to that and hopefully our listeners do as well. And I think that's going to bring us to the end of today's episode of Slash Film Daily. You can find more about all of these stories that we mentioned on today's show at SlashFilm.com and linked inside the show notes. Slash Film Daily is published every weekday, bringing you the most exciting news from the world of movies and TV, as well as deeper dives into the great features you can find on the site. Uh, speaking of features, Chris has a great one up about the how romance, the secret weapon of the Conjuring franchise, the new Conjuring movie, is out uh, in theaters and on HBO Max today. So if you want to check out that piece, I would encourage you to do so. I'll link that in the show notes, too. Uh, you can subscribe to this show on Apple, Google, Overcast, Spotify, all of the popular podcast apps, and send your feedback, questions, comments, and concerns to us at peter at slashfilm.com. Make sure to leave your name and general geographic location in case we mention your email on the air. Don't forget to rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts. Tell your friends, spread the word. Thank you all for listening, and we will talk to you next week. <laughs>